What's up, Lamb Fam? Welcome back to the Life After Miscarriage podcast, where we unapologetically chat the ins and outs of what life is actually like after miscarriage. I'm your host, Shelly Metling, and with four angel babies myself and one rainbow baby here on earth, I have created a platform for you guys to share your stories. So sit back, relax, get ready to relate, laugh, and cry as we get real on what life is actually like after miscarriage in the 21st century. Hello, everyone. We have Megan Sylvester on today's episode. I'm so excited to get to know a little bit more about her. Megan, I'm just going to toss it at you. Start wherever you like. Thank you, Shelly. Um, I'm so grateful to have this opportunity to share my story and for being part of this community. I know the hard work you've put into building this platform, and it's just so awesome of you. So thank you. Um, so I thought I would start by explaining a little bit about who I am and what I'm doing. I think it brings a lot of context to the way that our story unfolded. And so I am currently in my fifth year of an eight-year MD-PhD dual training program. So the way that works is I do two years of medical school, four years of PhD, and then I go back for the last two years of medical school before residency, fellowship, et cetera. So I am a lifelong student. And my husband and I actually met in junior high, high school. So we've known each other a long time. Um, And we got married between my first and second year of medical school. Um, Because that's a good window of time where there's some flexibility to do life things. Um, And when we got married, we had talked about kind of starting a family, but finding the chunks of time in my training where that's a little bit more available is sometimes a little hard. So um, we knew that getting through the second year of medical school was super important just to buckle down, do all of that. And then once we got to grad school was a time when we would have a little bit more flexibility for at least a little chunk of maternity leave and um, being able to just lay low if I needed to for a little while. Um, And so I started my first year of grad school in 2017, the fall of 2017. um, And we just weren't, we weren't quite ready. We had just bought a house. I was in this major transition year of getting into grad school. um, And we just weren't quite there yet. Sorry, there's a dog barking, so I'm gonna go inside. Um, But when, second year of medical school, uh, graduate school came around, we were a little more settled in and kind of ready to take that, take that leap. Um, so that was the fall of 2018. And we didn't really tell anyone that we were at that point. Um, for a variety of reasons, we told our two best friends back home. Um, but other than that, we kind of just said, well, we'll we'll pull the goalie and just kind of see what happens. And so I I've been on birth control since on and off, but pretty consistently since I was, I think, 16, 17 years old. Um, so I this was the first time that I was gonna just completely be off birth control. And so we had talked about not really knowing what my cycle looked like. And I I told my husband, I said, well, Part of the hard part about this whole 
trying to have a baby thing is you got to kind of know when the windows are and all of that. So um, we, at first, when I got my IUD out, the idea was just to not prevent and just kind of see where my body was at with everything. Um, so I got my IUD out and pretty quickly, I felt like there was something not quite right. Um, I just wasn't, I had an immediate period right when the IUD was out just from that hormone plunge. And then, I mean, six, eight, 10 weeks went by and nothing. And I remember talking to, I just go to campus health a lot for my um, medical care because it's easy and it's close by to where I work. And they kind of said, oh, just wait it out a little longer, see what happens. And that didn't really sit quite right with me. So I ended up, luckily with my insurance, I could very easily self-refer out for anything women's health. So I went to a different OB clinic and said, hey, I haven't had a period in like 90 days. <laughs> can we just do some testing and see kind of what's going on here? Cause I don't really want to just be spending my life savings on ovulation tests for the rest of my life um, to find out what's going on. And so long story short, we did do a whole slew of testing and imaging and everything. And it came out that I had PCOS and I had zero idea because for my whole life I had been essentially treating myself with hormonal birth hormonal birth control and suppressing all the signs and symptoms and whatnot. Um, so yeah, that was a, that in itself was kind of a shock. Um, but again, with my insurance, I was able to make the decision to go straight to a reproductive endocrinologist and fertility specialist at this point, which I'm very thankful for. Um, I could have, of course, stayed with an OB and done some of the early medication management, but I just felt more comfortable going to an REI if that was an option for me. Um, so I started to see an REI late spring. I think it was March uh, or so of 2019. Um, and simplifying the story, we tried a series of medications that either made me so, so sick and not ovulate, or I would ovulate and it would just not be a fun cycle. So finally we landed on letrozole, Femara, for people who are familiar. Um, and I did, my first round of Femara was in, I think, August of 2019. Um, and that was exciting for me because it was the first time when I didn't have crazy side effects and I also cycled. So I had great thing about being with an REI for all of this is I got to see how many follicles I was developing. Like they do a ton of um, monitoring ultrasounds throughout your cycle. Um, and so I knew with that first cycle that I had two really good looking follicles. Um, and that just put my mind at ease because I felt like, my body was finally working and we had been trying for so long, but also I knew that even though we were trying, I, I didn't have any eggs to contribute to that trying process. So um, it was kind of a weird feeling of saying, well, we were trying, but I also am not like contributing this very important piece to the trying timeline. Um, so that was an exciting cycle that did not 
um, yield a pregnancy, but I, I at least felt like we had finally found the thing that was going to work for us, at least in the, in the short term. Um, so we went back in, we're now at September of 2019 for another cycle of Fabara. Um, and we did the same dose, same timing, everything. I went in for my monitoring ultrasound and we didn't see any follicles. And that was just really frustrating. Um, but my doctor said, hey, this can happen. I'm gonna have you take just two more doses and you're gonna come back in, uh, in a week or so and then we'll see what's going on. Um, so I went back and I don't know what happened. My body kind of went into overdrive and I had four follicles all in my right ovary. And I probably could have told him that even if he didn't tell me first because I could feel it. It felt, I felt weird and I had kind of these twinges of pain on my right side. Um, and so admittedly, when we saw, when I saw um, four follicles and I got home and I told my husband and kind of just the, the chances of multiples at that point, we were both like, uh, this seems scary. <laughs> so we didn't, we didn't try once we knew that number. Um, of course, there's that five day window. And so there was a time before we knew there was four follicles that must have than the time that was good enough um, because we did end up having a positive pregnancy test after that, which was equal parts so exciting because at this point it had been 11 months since we had started trying and finally had a positive. Um, but I was also scared of the whole multiples situation and just whatever could come after that. And um, so I, I I thought I would be this really cute wife and do some surprise for my husband, like you hear stories of, and I just, I couldn't do it. I just walked in with, I used those little cheap Pregmate strips because otherwise I'd spend like our life savings on pregnancy tests and ovulation strips. And I just walked in and put it in his face and I was like, look. And I remember him saying, I don't know what I'm looking at. <laughs> so I was like, oh, it's positive. Like I'm pregnant. Um, and so I think we were both excited. Um, it was a shock. I don't think either of us were jumping for joy because I think we just didn't, it didn't sink in for a few days of what was going on. Of course, I took that test on a Friday at like 6 p.m. So then I couldn't call my doctor. I couldn't get blood work or anything done until Monday. So I had to kind of sit around and wait a tiny bit, um, which we all, know that how fun that can be to wait for the blood tests. Um, but I did get in that following Monday. So at that point, I, by my math, I was about four and a half weeks when I got my first beta. Um, and that came back and it was at 500. So I was, I was feeling pretty good. I was like, well, that's a, that's a good level, like to start out with. And that's good. Um, and then of course, went back two days later for my second beta. And that was at about 900, um, which was not bad. It would have felt better if it was higher at, so that 24, 48 hour point, it would have been great if it was closer to like truly doubling or a little over. I think I would have felt more secure, but I, I didn't feel bad about it either. Um, so I, I do think at that point, I, my doctor and I checked in with each other and he said, hey, looking pretty good. You're at five weeks now. I want you to do 
two more betas next week, and then I'll see you in the week following that. So at seven weeks, we'll do an ultrasound. Um, and I, I agreed with that plan. That sounded good to me. So I went in then that following Monday. So this is five days after my second beta is when I got my third beta. And that came back. I'm a terrible patient and I see all my blood work online before my doctor calls me. Um, and so that came back and I got the email and I looked and it was at 2000. And I kind of knew at that point that we had a problem. Um, I do remember trying to reassure myself and be like, it's a, it's, it could be okay. Um, wait, hear what the doctor has to say about it before you freak out. Cause, um, so that was a doubling in five days, which of course is not really what the goal is. Um, so later that day, uh, I know exactly where I was. I was in the middle of my research lab <laughs> running an experiment with people all around me when I got the call from the doctor um, and was able to just kind of step away into a side hallway at least and take that phone call. Um, and he did say, he said, well, Megan, I, I don't want to, um, I don't want to sugarcoat this for you. Uh, your beta is not quite where I would love for it to be. It could be okay, but most likely this is not going to be a viable pregnancy. Um, and even though I, I feel like the scientist and the medical student in me knew that already from looking at my own level, there was something different about hearing those words come out of his mouth. Um, and so he, of course, asked me if I was having any spotting, bleeding, any pain of any kind. And I said, no, I, I honestly, I just, I feel sick. I feel bloated. I, my boobs hurt. Like, I just feel pregnant. Other than that, I'm, I'm not in any pain. I've had no spotting. Um, and those questions were because it could have been ectopic at that point. And he was trying to make sure that I didn't need to get in ASAP to a doctor. Um, and he said, well, if that changes and you do have pain, I want you to go to the ER right away. Call me, I'll be there. Um, and I agreed and he said, but until then, I want you to go in tomorrow, get another beta, and then let's go from there and kind of see where things are at to schedule you for an ultrasound. Um, and so I went in, this is, I think it was, the, it was the day before Halloween when I got my, my fourth and um, beta done. And that was, at 3,000. So I had gone from 2,000 to 48 hours later being at 3,000. So it was, it was obvious I was, my betas were going up, but they were plateauing and they were not going to a place that was looking healthy and um, good. So the, he again called me, we had the same conversation and he said, I'm gonna, I wanna see you as soon as possible because I wanna make sure that this is an ectopic, um, and just see what's going on so we can come up with a plan. And I, I think they didn't have any availability on Halloween, so I had to wait until the day after Halloween to go in to get that. And that was, I mean, of course I took the appointment that was available, but I remember that was the day I was supposed to be giving a research talk at a conference up in Phoenix, which is about two hours north of where I live in Tucson. And um, my appointment was like 30 minutes before I was scheduled to give my talk two hours away. And that was the only thing available. Um, and I 
it was really hard for me to cancel that talk. I had to send the email and say, sorry, I, I have a medical emergency. I'm not going to be able to make it. And it wasn't even, it wasn't that important <laughs> in hindsight. I know that it wasn't an important conference, but um, just the professional side of me to have to send that email and know my name was in a bulletin somewhere. People would see it and an announcement was going to be made that I wasn't there to present my research. Um, the professional side of me was really embarrassed by that, which is absurd because it was absolutely what I needed to be doing. Um, but I just didn't quite have enough compassion for myself to understand that. So I, I remember that being an extra level of emotional frustration on top of what I was feeling, just not knowing what was happening with the pregnancy. Um, but I, so I went in for that ultrasound appointment the day after Halloween. And luckily my husband was able to um, work from home that day and make it into the appointment with me. Um, Cause it was really reassuring to have him there. Um, and I remember the second, my ultrasound image popped up on the screen and I said, that's, that's a blighted ovum. And the doctor said, yeah, it, it is a blighted ovum. And my, my poor husband, I think he said something like, oh, what's a blighted ovum? I don't, I don't know what you guys are talking about, which is oh, completely fair. Um, and so we walked through, my doctor showed us, well, this is the gestational sac, but unfortunately there's no, there's no sign of an embryo developing. Um, so there was some sort of a genetic problem, either egg, sperm, both, um, where the embryo wasn't able to keep growing the way it needed to, but the gestational sac, and there was even kind of the um, exterior remnants of a yolk sac that had started to develop, um, they all grow and kind of stimulate that hormone production that we're seeing in my blood and also make me feel pregnant like I'm sick, I'm bloated, I'm exhausted, all of that. Um, and so at that point, we, we talked through the three options that so many people have discussed on this podcast of, he said, we can wait, we can do the medications, um, or we can do a DNC. And I, I kind of asked him, like, what do you recommend? Because I trust him. And he said, well, the vast, vast majority of these will progress on their own and you'll start bleeding at least by eight weeks. And I said, okay. Um, and that was something I was okay with of saying, well, let's wait. And um, we talked through a lot, the risks, the potential risks with the DNC. And um, we were already kind of in the realm of struggling and I didn't want to add anything in there that could ever impact our future reproductive goals. Um, so I, I felt, I felt okay with waiting for a little while because he seemed pretty certain that my body would kind of take care of things on its own. Um, and so I, I did take the rest of that day off, um, from work, which was good. I don't think I could have gone back in that day. Um, and then was able to kind of take the weekend and process some information about everything we had just learned um, but in that, in canceling going to that conference that I mentioned, I had also canceled seeing my grandfather, um, because he lives up in Phoenix. I think I said I had a stomach bug or something. And in telling him, he of course called my parents back in Colorado and were like, oh, Megan's sick. 
And so I was just getting a stream of messages through my phone that whole weekend asking how I was and if I was feeling better and all of this. And I, I was not ready to talk because, I mean, at this point, my parents didn't know we were trying. They didn't know it was not going to be easy to get pregnant. They didn't know that I was pregnant and they didn't know I was having a miscarriage. And that was just a lot of information for me to try and get up the guts to explain over the phone. Sorry to interrupt today's episode, but we are sponsored by My Vitro. After three miscarriages and two rounds of IVF, Danielle Hall started My Vitro to help other women struggling with infertility. Frustrated with the options available to store her expensive fertility medications, she created the Fertility Caddy to organize all of the needles, vials, injectable pens, and supplies that are necessary for a treatment cycle. Feel prepared and ready to take control when that giant box of drugs shows up on your doorstep. Use code LAM, L-A-M, for 10% off of your order at myvitro.com. And as always, thank you for supporting the sponsors who are supporting our show. Now let's get back to it. Um, so I kind of ignored all messages on my phone for a few days, and finally my husband was getting messages, and he said, Megan, we got we to gotta tell your parents. I don't know how you want to tell them, but we, we have to tell them because they're starting to get worried and I don't want to lie to them. Um, and so I, I don't remember what day, but I did at one point call and kind of explain things. And um, as hard of it as it was to process the information ourselves, I think it was harder once I involved other people in that discussion. Um, just it made it feel real once you say it out loud. Um, but I was also so grateful for all the support that they gave us. And um, I, I think it was a weight off my shoulders just to share kind of where he, we had been over the past year and um, where we were now. I think it kind of explained a lot um, in just all our relationships with family and friends once we started to tell people that. Um, but anyway, so I, we waited for two weeks for my body to do things on its own. And I didn't spot, I didn't bleed, I didn't cramp once. Um, I just kind of tried to make my brain do other things because I, I, I mean, I was just walking around like a zombie, slowly kind of telling people around me at work, but not really because I didn't. I didn't have answers and I didn't want to talk about it until I really knew a plan. Um, and so I remember just trying to go about my daily life and that was, that was hard. Um, that really messed with me on a personal level. I was ready to just break down any second, but on a professional level, I was going to meetings, I was doing all these things and trying to maintain my professional persona, um, <clears throat> around everyone and not, disclose this very personal information was hard. Um, but at the end of those two weeks, we went back in and did an old, another ultrasound. And sure enough, the gestational sac was still there. It was still growing. I still felt sick. Um, it was obvious that my body wasn't doing anything on its own. So 
again, talked through the remaining two options and we agreed that I would try and do the medication, the mesoprostol, to see if that would kind of accelerate the process um, for a few reasons. One, my doctor was going to be traveling the next week and if I needed a DNC, I really wanted it to be him and I didn't want to just do nothing for any longer. Um, two, uh, the risk of scarring and everything with a DNC is super low, but it's still there. And I didn't run, really want to play that game unless we had to. And three, the cost of a DNC. I have really good insurance, but it still was expensive. Um, so we didn't want to do that again if we didn't need to. So I remember going back to work. We did a few things in the days following just to wrap up a few projects and then I think it was a Friday my husband again was able to take off work and be home with me when I took my first dose of the mesoprostol and that was just whew, that was a ride and it was very painful um just I mean it was contractions it's, it's yeah it was contractions it was all through my back and um, my pelvis and I was throwing up and just I was in a lot of pain. So, um, and I think it was like four hours after I took that dose, I passed one clot, maybe the size of a grape. And that was it. I didn't spot, I didn't bleed, nothing. Um, and I was kind of like, well, that's weird. We talked to the, the doctor about what would happen if I didn't bleed at all. And that was to take a second dose. And we talked about if I bled a lot, and that was to go to the ED, but we didn't really talk about this weird in-between point that I felt like my body happened to be in, where I, I sort of bled, like I passed one clot, but then I didn't bleed at all. Um, and so I did end up the next day taking a second dose of mesoprostol, and same experience, so painful, so awful, so sick. Um, and that time, nothing. I didn't pass any clots. I didn't bleed anything. Um, and so my wonderfully optimistic husband, of course, at that point was like, well, like, I mean, we did pass a clot and it, it, maybe that was it. Maybe you're just lucky and you're not going to bleed much. And I was like, well, maybe. But I, I just, I felt it in my gut that nothing had changed. Um, I just, and especially in the next couple days until I could talk to my doctor's office, I still had all my symptoms. I still, I still felt pregnant. And I think I just knew my body well enough to say, this isn't, this isn't quite the end. Um, so at this point I called my doctor again, he was out of town, but I, I convinced the office lady to order a beta for me just so I could see what my level was at and see if it was going if it was super, super low, I think I would have felt a little better leading up to my appointment with him compared to if it was super, super high, right? Um, so I got that done and that was at 13,000, if I remember correctly. Let me look at my notes. Yeah, 13,000. So um, I remember her calling me back and saying, I am so, so sorry, sweetie, but this is, it's not over. Um, and I think at that point, I just felt angry because I was, I was like, why is my body not, why is my body not taking care of this? Um, 
just from an evolutionary perspective of why in the world is my body holding on to this pregnancy that's that's not going anywhere and i i just felt frustrated um that nothing seemed to be working the way that it quote should be working um so I couldn't get in to see my doctor until a few days after that. And when I did get in, we were, let me think here. I was at about eight, no, about nine weeks when I saw him for uh, my final ultrasound after those meds. Um, And there was still a gestational sac and it looked like it was a little bigger than the last time. so for some reason, even despite the waiting, despite the meds, we were still kind of at the same place that we started, unfortunately. So um, we were left with the last option of doing a DNC at that point, which was upsetting for me because I, I think I went through this series of motions of like, if we had just started here, then this could have happened faster. Um, and also again, just frustrated with my body that it wasn't doing what it felt like it should be doing. Um, so we scheduled my DNC and it ended up being the day before Thanksgiving, um, just because of the way scheduling and everything was working out. Um, so that was only a few days after, I think my ultrasound was a Friday and that was a Wednesday or something. So it wasn't that long after, but I, um, yeah, we had planned on going to Colorado for Thanksgiving to see family and we had to cancel because I mean, I couldn't hop in a car immediately after my DNC and go on a 12 hour road trip. So um, we ended up having to cancel that, which of course then of course compounded some of the emotion aspects of that process. Um, but we went in for the DNC and it, the the procedure itself was was fine it I mean there wasn't anything that was that was particularly it was fast and I woke up fast and everything but I I do just remember feeling like a shell of a human being on that day because I was in a general outpatient surgery center I wasn't in an OB clinic area and so um, of course all the nursing staff and everyone saw my chart and they knew why I was there but I didn't I didn't feel like I was in a place that was that was really um, fit for addressing the emotions that I was going through. Um, I just felt out of place and kind of awkward about it all. And so I just I remember I'm I'm usually a pretty outgoing person, and I just remember being silent. I think I answered any immediate questions that anyone had, but I was just quiet the whole time in the um, pre-op area. Um, I just, yeah. Um, So we went home from that. And I should say, so on that day of my DNC, um, I was exactly nine weeks, seven days, or 10 weeks, however you do your math. Um, So that was a full, it was a full month between when I found out that I was miscarrying with that very first ultrasound. I was about like six weeks, two days-ish, if I remember, um, to when I had my DNC, it was a month. Um, And so that was a long time to be walking around 
feeling pregnant, but knowing I kind of wasn't at the same time. Um, and that was a, that was a lot to process. And then the weeks afterwards was a lot to process. I, I feel like it, it took another month or so or more until my body really started to feel normal. I just, I don't feel like anyone ever talked or mentioned um, how they felt afterwards physically. I was kind of expecting for my body to heal a little bit faster than it did. Um, I, I was just, I was still kind of in pain. Everything felt tight. My lower back and my pelvis just, um, just had, I mean, they had been through a lot with those medications. And I think just the, the mental strain of knowing there was something wrong. Um, I'm sure kind of, I was just guarding and tightening up all those muscles and kind of subconsciously, but I just, I didn't feel good for a really long time. Um, and that's just the physical aspect. Of course, the mental aspect was, was also hard. And I did end up my mom had slowly kind of started to spread the news to family once I had the DNC. Um, and I, I made the decision with my husband that we did want to share the news publicly ourselves and kind of tell family and friends um, kind of our way, I guess, of we wanted to make sure that it wasn't just news that was traveling behind the scenes through the grapevine, but we really wanted to come from us as much as possible. So we did end up doing the Facebook, Instagram post, which was really scary. I, my husband doesn't do social media at all. And I usually just use it to look at what other people are doing. And maybe I post an occasional story or picture, but I wasn't really super open about my life on social media. Um, so that was, that was a scary, that was a scary post for me um, to make. But I, I am really glad I did. I think it, it of course opened up tons of stories from women. I, I think I knew most of the people in my life who had been through a miscarriage, um, but there were definitely a couple that I didn't know. And then I did have a few people that reached out to me and um, kind of distant acquaintances, how you kind of build up some of those connections on social media. and. Um, just said, hey, I, I just went through this or uh, I am going through this and I am so glad you said something because I just, I felt really alone and I don't know who to talk to. Um, so I, I'm really glad, even though it was very scary and it, it opened up just the floodgates of messages and phone calls and everything from people, um, which can be a lot in those emotional times to also get bombarded by um, messages, whether it's positive or negative, even the positive ones are sort of overwhelming. And I, I am really glad that we shared that. And I, I've continued to kind of be open about the process and especially afterwards, how I was feeling, because I feel like there's this, this notion that once, once the miscarriage is over, that you should be better. And um, especially with the way mine was so drawn out, um, I think once the people who did kind of know in the midst of it um, 
had heard me talking about it a lot because not many people knew and that was my only outlet. And I, I think just, it's just a common feeling of, well, it's over now. You should feel better physically, emotionally, it's, it's over. Um, and that's just not the way I felt. I just still kind of felt out of place in my own body. And um, I had a really hard time expressing those emotions especially verbally. Um, I, I did a lot better when I wrote things down. And so using, using Instagram or sharing some notes with my husband and kind of expressing those emotions was really valuable for me because I, I didn't know how to put it into words with my voice, but I could figure out how to put it into words with my keyboard. Um, and so that was, that was an outlet that I'm very thankful for. And I, I think the the catalyst for all of that was listening to this podcast and connecting on um, the social media platforms that you've built and hearing other people talk openly. It made me realize that I, I could be that person. I could talk openly and it would be okay and probably really important for me to do that. Um, so I, I, I'm grateful for that. It still is pretty scary for me. Anytime I send out a post that has anything to do with my infertility or loss stories because you just never know how people are going to respond. Um, but for the most part, it's been a huge therapeutic experience and I, I'm very, very grateful for that. So yeah, I think that's kind of the essence of most everything. Well, I'm so happy that you found, you know, therapy in the sharing process of it. Cause you're right. It is. It's, it's terrifying. <laughs> it's terrifying. To I'm, share, glad, I'm glad you find it terrifying. Cause I feel like you're an expert at this point. No, sharing. It's, so, <laughs> so. it's so scary. Well, cause yeah. it's just a lot like you're sharing very personal things and you right. know that, that some people are out there kind of frowning upon it, you know, yeah. like it's just, yeah. it's just what it is. But yeah. Um, until you've been through it, they, they don't get it. And hopefully they never have to. So right. that's my, my thought process my, with it. <laughs> the thing I told my husband is I said, you know, I, I don't want this to be all I share, of course, mm -hmm. on my social media pages. But the, the worst thing that could ever happen is that someone else in our life goes through this and they don't know they can talk to us. Yeah. And, yeah. So. Absolutely. And it, it kind of, it just brings purpose to it all, which is, I think yeah. is the huge, the huge reason for me is it's like, how else do you find purpose behind right. some of this craziness, right. you know, yeah. other than Absolutely. the fact of, you know, being able to maybe help somebody else with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I just want to thank you so much for sharing. I always ask at the end of every episode, if you have one piece of advice for somebody in a similar situation, what would it be? Oh, it's so funny because I had one chosen that I had been thinking about. And just this week, I completely changed my mind because of um, kind of how the week went. Um, <laughs> it's just funny how your advice, and I was like, if I'm going to share something, it should be like what I need to hear right now. <laughs> and, that, um, and I think that's just to be patient with yourself. Um, and that's not something I'm very good at. I, I tend to have this like eyes forward, like keep moving. Um, mentality and I, I haven't always done the greatest job of acknowledging where I'm at in that day and knowing that I mean there's a reason people say it's a roller coaster because that's 
the only way to describe this. Um, and I, I don't think I've always done the best job of honoring both the highs and the low days. Um, and so that's, I think you just need to be really patient and understand um, kind of what your body and your mind are processing and not be hard on yourself when the days are bad, even if you feel like it shouldn't be bad anymore, there's always going to be moments. So. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And if somebody wants to reach out to you, where could they do so? Um, I gave you my Instagram. That's yes. a good place. That's kind of where I've been sharing more. Um, I am on Facebook. I don't use it quite as much to be vocal about things. Um, that's kind of more my family place. So I leave it for more like big stuff. Um, but I am more than happy to talk to people on either one. I would love that. Awesome. Well, I'll go ahead and I'll link that in the description of this episode. Thank you so much for jumping on and feeling the pull to share your story. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's been great. All right. We'll talk soon. Keep me posted on everything. Okay. I will. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it with a friend who could find it useful or share it on your Instagram stories. Tag myself, tag my guest so that we can personally thank you. This is a lamb fam, you guys. We're not in this alone. We're creating this ripple effect together.